Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Hi and welcome to Constructive Voices, your two weekly appointment with thought leaders in the construction industry. I'm Steve Randall and this time we're talking about one of the big challenges and opportunities for the industry as we focus on carbon net zero how we transition millions of existing buildings to meet the requirements and how that will impact employment for construction professionals. There are lots of new jobs, I think, as the retrofit market develops, but critically, all the traditional trades need to understand how retrofit works. And and that's why we're so keen, actually, to get the retrofit market up and running. That's Brian Berry, Chief Executive of the UK's Federation of Master Builders. He's been talking to Henry MacDonald. Hear more from him soon. And Peter Finn, Pete the Builder, has plenty to add to the topic too. Constructive Voices media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. So, Pete, here we are again, and already 2022 is flying by. How's things? How are we doing, Steve? Yeah, great to talk to you again. You're absolutely right there. Without a shadow of a doubt, time is flying by very quickly. Uh, With time going by quickly, also change is needed in construction, as we've discussed before. And we're going to talk a little bit about retrofitting and construction today. Yeah, this is an interesting one because, of course, we've talked a lot and we had our event last year about the need for buildings to move towards carbon net zero. And, you know, there are two sides to this. There are those buildings that are being built from scratch, the new builds. And obviously, there are going to be more and more things that will need to be done at the construction stage. But of course, most of our buildings are already there. And, you know, we're not going to pull them all down and start again. They need to be retrofitted to bring them up to the standards we need. And that is both a huge task, but also a huge opportunity for the construction industry. Yeah, exactly. So it's been fairly clearly recognized that the easiest way to keep your carbon footprint low when you're doing construction is to start off by using an existing building. That has certain challenges to it because it depends on how old the building is. It depends on the location of the building. It depends on the footprint of the building and what your project you have in mind is to try and get it to the finished product. There's basically been a lot of research done in this field and in this sort of aspect of construction because it's something that is without the shadow of a doubt, a huge opportunity, as you've put it there, that needs to be taken advantage of for us to be able to reach the targets that we're trying to get to when it comes to, to, to this carbon battle that we've got going on and and to the sustainability issue. So like every good idea, it sounds great at the time. I've come up with some brilliant ideas in the pub, but when they when they come to reality, they may not be as good. What you do need to have is a structure in place and you do need an acceptance from a lot of people to this new idea and this new concept, and then therefore you get to your end goal at the end. We've looked at the retrofit uh, in construction um, from lots of different uh, aspects in the construction industry, and there, there's like different reports and uh, outlooks have have basically been produced from several different people in the industry. And uh, I suppose that a lot of them are, are kind of singing off the same hymn sheet, as I would say. A lot of them have to, have addressed or highlighted the same issues, and then. It's about how do you rectify those issues? Now, again, construction globally is not the exact same in every region. Myself and yourself have discussed this quite a few times. 
But and obviously there's different climates and there's different laws and there's different regulations in lots of different countries. But I suppose at the end of the day, you still have a structure for any construction project. And when it comes to retrofit in construction, you need to consider it and approach it from a different way. Okay, let's talk about what we mean when we're talking about retrofit. What specifically are you envisaging being the bits of the building that need to be looked at assessed and then retrofitting taking place? If we have a a building, so we've got our foundations, we have our walls, we have our roof in place, we have windows in place, and there's an internal fit out. Now, if if we're just looking at keeping the the building in its exact same footprint and its exact same exterior layout, that's a very easy start. But let's be honest, that's not really going to be the case. Times change in terms of, of aesthetics, but also when it comes to making a building up to the standards that we want our buildings to be, to make our buildings sustainable and to do that in a carbon neutral way, you're going to have to be clever about what you do. So what you've got to look at is which parts of the building are you going to have to remodel in terms of the aesthetic layout of the exterior. And then the obvious one is from the perspective of sustainability, we have to look at the energy efficiency of the building as it's running at the moment and the end use of what the energy result will be of the of the building when it's finished. And then you have the, how do you get it to that point as carbon neutrally as you can as well? So when it comes to retrofit, I suppose you've got to look at, a, at, at stuff from a different way. If you're starting from the foundations up in a greenfield site, you can use certain materials and you can put certain procedures in place because it's all new build, it's all off a truck, you know, it's coming new materials. Whereas if you have an existing building and it has obviously got an existing roof and walls and floors and all of those different aspects, and then you've got your structural elements to it as well, you have to work with the building. And that's one of the, the findings that has been made that tradespeople are going to now have to start thinking along those type of lines when it comes to retrofit. You always had to, I've worked on, we spoke about this before as well, say, but I've worked on a lot of conservation projects where you have to be very sensitive to the building. Now, when that was being done, it was to preserve the integrity of the building, which is obviously a very important thing as well. But what we're talking about here is using existing buildings and upgrading them in terms of their insulation, their energy efficiency, and, and, and you know, the whole way that the building is, is used, obviously, is going to be changed as well to, to suit modern life. So, we have to do things and address things in a slightly different approach than if you're doing a new build. To do that, you need people who are qualified or experienced in doing that type of construction. And at this point in time, if we want to reach the targets that we want to reach, it's not going to be as easy as, as we think. There's definitely going to be a demand for labor. At this moment in time, we already are struggling for labor for the number of projects that we've got. Add into that, again, another uh, increased number of retrofit projects and an extremely large uh, number of of retrofit projects, you're going to have a lack of resources when it comes to qualified people to be able to carry out the works. And I'm not just talking about the actual physical structural works. I'm more talking about when it comes to qualified installers of the heat pumps and and any of the renewable energy heat sources that will be used in in a building. And then even insulation if you've got a massive demand for external wall insulation suppliers and even your fiber wool and, and the, the various numbers of, of other insulation products that are out there, if that demand massively increases, which it is going to, you're going to obviously need installers qualified and experienced to do that. And we don't have that at the moment. So that's certainly something that has been identified as a challenge. And um, moving on then as well, 
you know, it's not just a case of, right, let's put a load of insulation on this building and let's put like uh, uh, an, an energy efficient heat source in and off you go. There's lots of other aspects that you've got to consider that they're not that technical once you get, get your head around them. But it's like anything, if you've never done it before and it's your first time doing it, it can be quite tricky and, and mistakes can be made. So it's being basically identified that we need people in place who, you know, are going to have other considerations to the buildings in terms of the likes of, Ventilation, for example, is certainly something that unless you have experience at it in terms of like having a heat recovery system in a building or something like that, it can be very slow. Slow means expensive and also mistakes are much a higher risk than somebody who's come in to do something that they've done before. So I suppose it's education is something that that is certainly needed in terms of tradespeople on site need to be trained. Therefore, foremen, site managers need to have retrofit uh, training if they haven't already done this type of stuff before maybe it's just slight upskilling but a lot of our tradespeople and our managers are more used to working on brand new builds this is a new challenge so it's something that you know they do need to be educated on and then even then the qualified people that come to sign off on these things we need these people and at this moment in time we certainly do not have enough again if we if we start to do the amount of construction and retrofitting projects that are planned and are going to be needed to meet the demand. So there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of a lot of collaboration that has to happen between the different trades. A bit of education has to happen between the trades. And again, more qualifications and more upskilling has to happen for the people with the boots on the ground and on site. But that's only one aspect to it because then you also have the business side of it as well, Steve. And as we know, business will drive the way events happen and, and the way things change in in everyday life is usually driven by businesses excellent points as always pete let's pause for a bit and come back and talk more after we've heard from brian berry chief executive of the uk's federation of master builders he's with constructive voices henry mcdonald when i graduated from university my first job was teaching in a small school in london so teaching six to seven year olds all subjects so that was a good grounding for the world of work actually and from teaching, I then joined the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors in their parliamentary office and uh, had quite a long time at the RICS and became head of European policy and spent three years in Brussels. Then I came back and was head of UK public policy. And then from the RICS, I then joined the, the Federation of Master Builders as the Director of External Affairs. And from there, I was asked about becoming chief executive. So um, that's where I am now, Chief Executive of the FNB, which is the largest trade association for SME building companies. And we are UK wide. So um, I'm very proud to be leading the FNB. And there's a very extensive range of topics that we get involved in, in representing uh, FNB members. In this discussion, we're mainly focused on the concept of retrofitting and its role in construction. Now, for the lay person around the world who listens to our podcast, what does retrofit building into you? Retrofitting your home is about making changes that will reduce energy consumption, in turn reducing carbon emissions. And that's really important if we're going to deliver a net zero economy. In practical terms, really, it's a range of measures to make your home more comfortable. It's about actually reducing your energy bills, which will become much more important over the coming months because we know energy prices are going to escalate. 
And it's also about making your home a much healthier place to live in, because if your home is more energy efficient, your um, energy bills are going to be lower, but you're going to have an ambient temperature in your home. Uh, you're not going to have those hot rooms and cold rooms. It's, it will just be a much more pleasant place to be. So it's a very simple concept, um, but it's probably a bit more difficult to put into practice. On a practical level, does that mean everything from changing conventional light bulbs to more energy efficient ones? To fitting heat pumps to replace boilers. What do you see as the core retrofit jobs to be done to make a home greener? Well, I think the whole range of things you can do, and I'll just run through some of them. But I think the important thing really from a government point of view is actually introducing building passports. I think homeowners would benefit from having a passport which outlines all the measures you can do to make your home much more energy efficient, which we don't have at the moment, but I think that would make things a lot easier. But in terms of making your home greener, more energy efficient at the moment, there are simple things you can be doing like changing your light bulbs, so they're LED, draft excluders, um, but there are obviously then more complex things, such as your heating system. Um, we know that the government is uh, wanting to remove, we're wanting us to remove our gas boilers and think about heat pumps. We could be thinking about um, our water consumption, how we could actually reduce our water consumption. It's about the windows, loft insulation. And if you live in an older property, um, it's made of solid brick, then you would be thinking about insulating either the inside or the outside of your home. That's a very expensive um, uh, project. So there are a whole range of things from changing the light bulb to actually insulating the outside of your house if you're living in an older property. So it's a whole range of things suiting, you know, to suit your pocket, really. But and all these things will help reduce um, your energy consumption and keep the bills down. In a recent detailed research paper on retrofit skills, the shortage of engineers available to fit things like heat pumps was cited as one example of how the industry has held back in the UK. Can you expand on this skills shortage problem? Yes. Uh, well, unfortunately, we do have a skills shortage problem in our industry. We had it before the start of the pandemic and uh, there was a slight easing of that at the start. But now we're finding that there are shortage of all the trades, particularly bricklayers and carpenters. And of course, the, um, the Brexit has had an impact. Nine percent of construction workers had come from the European Union. We're no longer as reliant on EU workers. So we're having to develop homegrown talent. And that takes time. It takes you know, three years to train someone. So we have got quite a big challenge there in terms of finding skilled uh, skilled installers. So we need a whole range of people in our in the retrofit market. So we need the, the surveyors, we need the installers, the administrators, project management. And also, of course, we need multi-skilled tradespeople who understand the energy performance of a house um, so that they can actually work together towards reducing energy consumption. The paper recommends what it calls green skills should be part of new training and apprenticeship programmes in the industry, develop retrofit. What in your mind are these kind of green skills? Probably a whole range of things and all the trades really Let's say if you're a bricklayer or a carpenter, you need to better understand the energy performance of a home. That could be done through a retrofit coordinator. So this would be a new job, really. A retrofit coordinator would be understanding 
how energy efficient your home is, and then actually, as the name suggests, coordinating the trades to make sure they're working together to make your home more energy efficient. And in terms of accreditation, more installers will need to become PAS 2030 or PAS 2035, so that that level of competence and reassurance to householders that the work being done is being done to a certain standard. So there are lots of new jobs, I think, as the retrofit market develops, that will develop. But critically, all the traditional trades need to understand how retrofit works. And and that's why we're so keen, actually, to get the retrofit market up and running. Now, a key question really is, is the UK ready to embrace retrofit on a much wider basis? Or is this still an industry, the building industry, addicted almost exclusively to new build? Uh, I think, you know, over the last couple of years, builders have been very, very busy. The market's been good for them. A lot of people have wanted home extensions and um, creating extra space in their home. So they've not really had to search out new markets. And so they've not had to really focus on retrofit. In terms of creating the retrofit market, the government last year introduced a Green Homes Grant Scheme and then took it away. So there's a lack of confidence in the building industry about investing in retrofit skills because if the government introduces grants and then takes them away, it makes it a very unstable market. So we need to move away from this stop-start approach and we need a longer-term strategy to encourage the building industry to invest. And it's a huge market. We've got 28 million homes in this country, all of which would benefit from some form of retrofitting. You think that there, it's, it could be that big? It, I mean, that's an astonishing figure. 28 million homes need to be maintained and looked after. Uh, we know that 39% of our housing stock dates from before 1939. So it's those houses that need probably a lot more work done to them, particularly the typical Victorian terraced house that you see all across the country. Those are the ones that need solid wall insulation. So that's a major challenge. And those are difficult to treat. But there are lots of, you know, probably particularly flats dating 30, 40, 50 years that would all benefit from being much more energy efficient. And we do have a serious problem with fuel poverty. We've got two and a half million households living in fuel poverty. So if we're thinking about the government's levelling up agenda, this would be a really good way to try and help the poorest people in society cut their energy bills and give them a better standard of living. Yeah, and that, obviously that depth of that energy poverty is going to, to, to worsen uh, with the, the hike in gas prices and also potentially a war in Ukraine and Russia. I mean, so it kind of needs to be done now, doesn't it? The, the sort of this change, this retrofit sort of project. Yeah, it does. And, um, you know, we were hoping that the government would be a bit more ambitious than the heat and building strategy that was published last year, which really puts a big focus on heating systems. Um, and although they talk about fabric first, uh, if you own your property, there's very few incentives actually to upgrade your home. It's very expensive. So the government would do better to have a more joined up approach to retrofitting if we're actually going to start making our homes greener and more energy efficient and get the industry geared up because it takes time you know as i was saying earlier if we want more installers it's going to take them a couple of years to meet the um, the standard that is required and of course we need to train the existing trades about um what the retro what retrofit means in practice okay so you're saying there are millions of homes i.e retrofit projects that could be worked on to get all these 
housing, get all this housing stock up to grade and get it energy efficient. But are SME builders in the UK showing any interest in taking on retrofit orders, especially those whose order books are filling up again as the economy begins to open up post-pandemic? That's a good question. I, I think I alluded to that earlier because uh, the repair and maintenance and improvement sector, the output from that sector is higher now than it was at the start of the uh, pandemic. And that's because people are looking uh, to create extra space in their homes, but they're not necessarily looking to make their homes greener or more or more energy efficient. So builders have had a lot of work to do doing the more traditional jobs. Builders will respond if the market develops. So it's con- it needs to be consumer-led. And consumers at the moment, most of them aren't asking for retrofit because it's very expensive and would they get a good return on the investment? Um, so that's why the government has been nudging us um, to think about making our homes greener and more energy efficient. The rise in energy bills going up, that might actually do more in encouraging us to make stamp out all the drafts in our homes and uh, think about how do we stop it all leaking out through the walls. So that could be encouraging more householders to think about retrofitting their homes. But it'd be so much more helpful if the government provided some financial incentives to encourage us all to make our homes greener and more energy efficient. Uh, let's take the average house in the UK. How costly could it be if you were doing this yourself without any governmental support? It varies depending on who you're talking to, but we're talking tens of thousands of pounds. Really? Um, absolutely. Imagine you live in a Victorian terraced house and it's solid brick and you're, you're going to have the outside insulated. One, you'd have to pay for the um, insulation, but it could have an impact on the inside of your house as well. Um, you'd have to redecorate it afterward. Or if you're going to think about your heating system, ripping that out and putting something else in, all that has a cost. So we are talking tens of thousands of pounds if you're going to have a deep retrofit, which is why I think, you know, for many people, it will have to be a more incremental approach. Uh, so it could be, you know, replacing the windows or having secondary glazing uh, because most people just won't have that amount of money to spend. But if it's incremental, will that be enough to attract SMEs to take this sector serious and get into retrofit? Well, it depends on demand. If there's strong consumer demand for wanting to do you know, smaller projects, then builders r- will respond. But I think actually it would be better if it's a more coordinated approach. And if we're going to actually kickstart the retrofit market in a serious way, we need the government to commit to this and put in a range of uh, incentives to start the retrofit market and then let the market take over um, because it needs some pump priming at the beginning if you're going to get people trained up in the first couple of years to do that work. And only the government can, can do the pump priming initially, isn't that right? Well, I think it's about le- um, it's a policy signal, isn't it? If the government is committed to reducing carbon emissions, as it says it is, as part of the green industrial revolution, given that homes contribute 20% of the country's carbon emissions, we've, we've got to tackle our existing homes and make them greener. Lots of people won't have money to do that. So I think you know the government should be setting out a, a longer-term roadmap about how this is going to be delivered. Which countries are ahead of the game in terms of retrofit compared to the UK? And can you give us a brief global picture of retrofit business and construction across the world? 
or reconstruction as the case may be. There are examples in other countries, particularly in, in um, Germany, where I think they've been taking a strong lead. And of course, you won't be surprised in terms of the Scandinavian countries. I think we, we would benefit from having a deeper understanding of how things are done in other countries that could be applied to the UK. But of course, our climate is different from other countries. So we need to adapt that and, and make it more relevant to our temperate climate, really. I think, you know, more research is needed in terms of understanding this so that, so that we could apply that to the UK. But we, we, we were talking about countries like Germany. I mean, they're not that different in terms of climate to Britain uh, or indeed Ireland for that matter. But what are they getting right in terms of retrofit? Well, I think, you know, what my understanding is about Germany is that they're providing uh, the loans and the grants that are uh, made available to householders, which is what is missing here in this country. In Germany, they've got the financial institutions backing it. And I think that's the challenge in the UK is actually getting the financial providers to think more seriously about green mortgages uh, so that it could be conditional that if you're uh, buying a property, uh, you would undertake to make the home improve its energy performance rating. So that would be a sort of market uh, intervention. So I think we could be learning from Germany in, t- in terms of getting the, in- uh, the financial providers to um, put in some requirements about green mortgages, because that would encourage a lot more people to upgrade their homes. So if, if the German banks and the financial system gets green mortgages, where are the British banks? Are there any sign that they're, they're starting to... Yes, I think some of them are actually nationwide. I think are looking at this, and I'm sure some of the other banks are. I think they can see the direction of travel. Um, it would be good if the government gave it a bit of a push, but I think going forward we're going to see more of that because if we're ever going to make our homes more energy efficient, we need to make sure that the money lent on those properties is going to be spent on making them more energy efficient. Has there been any marked upsurge in demand for retrofit? since COP in Glasgow? Well, I think a lot of people now are are much more aware about the need to make our homes greener and more energy efficient. The problem is at the moment we are facing a sort of economic problems with rising inflation, uh, the concerns about some job security, and people are probably thinking, what is the best return on their money? So we're not seeing a huge upsurge in retrofit work, but it is encouraging that I think as a, as a country, we're much more aware of climate change and what needs to be done. But at the end of the day, you know, people have got to manage on quite tight budgets. And this year, we know with tax rises and inflation, it's going to be much more challenging. So they're probably less likely to spend money um, unless, of course, they're trying to uh, make their homes a bit less drafty to cut their energy bills. Uh, and, you know, the next Global Climate Change Conference will be at Charmel Check this year. Uh, I suppose it goes without saying that retrofit should be on the agenda in, ter- in terms of gr- green building. That would be your view, I would assume. Oh, yes. I mean, retrofit should definitely be there, uh, you know, year on year, but actually how are we going to make our, our homes greener and more energy efficient? Um, but of course, we're seeing politically some backlash about the rising costs of doing improvements to your home. And so I think it's a tough call, actually, for householders and governments wanting to push the green agenda because it all comes at a cost. And so that's why I think you know the government should be, as I said earlier, pushing for a longer term 
roadmap about how to make our homes greener, more energy efficient. And if we are going to deliver zero carbon, we've all got to work in partnership. And that means sharing some of the burden. So it, it should be, there should be something on retrofit at, at the next big conference. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The retrofit is a market that needs to be developed. We need countries need to learn from one another about how to adapt existing buildings. Um, there are wider issues about embodied carbon and how you go about um, reducing that. So retrofit, I think, will be on the agenda for many years to come. What about the argument now, just being devil's advocate here, that it would be more energy efficient to build a new green energy efficient home from the start you know a brand new start if you like for 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 a green home rather than retrofit older homes well i'm not sure about that because it depends on the embodied carbon because if you're knocking down a property you have to um, dispose of all the materials and that has uh, a carbon cost to it whereas if you can adapt it you're you know you're using existing materials in a much more sustainable way so i would be inclined to say it makes much better sense um, in terms of keeping carbon emissions to a minimum that you adapt and change existing buildings rather than knocking things down. Um, But the tax regime doesn't help. VAT, for example, uh, you're paying 20% on repairs and sometimes it's cheaper uh, for some developers to knock a building down because then they get zero. They don't have to pay VAT on building a new um, building, which seems perversely wrong. So I think there's a job there in terms of the uh, the fiscal approach to actually what do we do with buildings that have lost lost their primary function and how do we adapt them to meet the needs of you know future generations? So you're saying one move would be to reduce VAT on this particular aspect of uh, the business. Oh, absolutely. I mean, at the moment, uh, people are having to pay twenty percent for repairs and maintenance. And that does seem wrong. Why not reduce the rate of VAT to 5% to encourage more people to make better use of their homes and make them greener and more energy efficient? It does seem to be an obvious fiscal tool. Uh, I'm just curious, something just came to mind. Uh, how do you decarbonize a house, You know, one that's been up maybe for 30 years or 50 years? Well, you're, you're having to work with what you've got, aren't you, in terms of the fabric. So if you are trying to make it more energy, reduce its carbon emissions then you need to actually insulate it, the fabric first approach. So that's you know, the windows and the walls and the roof, making sure that actually they're well insulated as they can be, but making sure that actually it's not a sealed box without any ventilation, because you otherwise that causes further problems about damp. But this is where I think the building passport idea is so important, because the retrofit coordinator or energy assessor would be able to work out all the things that needed to be done to make your home more energy efficient. And then the homeowner can use the building passport to actually do the work as and when they can afford to do so. I want to go back to that figure of 20 million homes that potentially could be retrofitted in some way to make each of them energy efficient. Firstly, at the moment, can you give us a rough estimate of how many people are working in the retrofit sector? And what the potential scale of new jobs could be in this business? Yeah, well, it's very difficult to know what how many people are working in the retrofit industry. I mean, it's quite small in comparison to the 3 million people who work in the wider construction sector. But we know that actually, you know, given the scale of the market, 28 million homes, it's a huge challenge in terms of um, job creation. 
the work we did looking at uh, developing a national retrofit strategy, uh, this was work that the FNB was doing through the Construction Leadership Council. And we estimated actually, you know, we could create an extra 100,000 new jobs over the next four years wow. to start the, the retrofit market. But that actually, we would need an extra 500,000 additional people over the next 20 years if we're going to retrofit all the homes across uh, across the UK. That's, that's a hell of a number of people to attract yes, to the business. Do you, think, do you think it's possible? Well, it's a huge challenge, isn't it? Massive challenge, which is why we need to start now rather than later. And I think, you know, we, we are delaying what needs to be done. That is a massive number, I agree. But it also shows actually the economic impact it could have in terms of creating new jobs and as part of the government's levelling up, improving people's homes all across the country. It's been fantastic to be able to raise the issue about retrofit. I'd say that actually, you know, what we do need is carry on this discussion. Um, we need the government working with the industry and we need homeowners to have a better understanding of what, what can be done to their homes. So uh, this uh, discussion doesn't end today or go on for many months and years about how we deliver to make our homes greener, and more energy efficient. Henry MacDonald talking to Brian Berry, Chief Executive of the UK's Federation of Master Builders, about the burgeoning retrofit market. Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people. Pete the Builder, Peter Finn is still here. Pete, one of the issues in all of this is availability of labour and the ability of those both new to and already in the industry to gain new skills, all at a busy time for construction. Where's the time to get trained going to come from? That, that's exactly it. There's there's so many different challenges, but also we're in a time where when people in construction are actually already busy. So what we're asking them to do is to adapt and change from what they're doing, which they're they're busy at, and and you know probably doing okay at uh, financially. And you're asking them to change that and stop doing that, and now come and do something new. You know, let's be honest here. In construction, we always have peaks and troughs. We always have booms and busts. And there is probably a lack of confidence in business-minded people. They're probably saying to themselves, look, I've been down that road before and I've got burnt. I'm therefore going to stick to what I know because it's a safer bet. And you know what? When I say those words, it actually makes it makes common sense and, and, it, and it's, it's hard to argue with it. But again, we have to look at the bigger picture here. So we need businesses to come on board. So we need people to say, okay, I'm going to have a division in my team or a section in, in my team that I, I'm going to make sure that they are fully upskilled and trained when it comes to retrofit in construction and have that team and that crew there ready to take on projects when they're there. And then you're going to need other businesses that solely go head first into this aspect of construction, whether it's committing to being an insulation installer, whether it's committing to supplying the qualified tradespeople to do these projects. Again, we need not only the everyday man on the ground to commit to this, we also first need businesses to commit to it as well. So how do you do that? You can't just expect everybody to go, okay, I'm going to accept that the world needs help and I'm going to be <laughs> the superhero that nobody knows about and I'm going to go out and commit my business to do what needs to be done. Look, some people will do that, but let's be honest, if we're relying on that 
type of a concept or a mindset to happen, we will probably struggle to meet the targets we need to do. So what we need is business people to be given incentives and to be given the opportunity for the opportunity not to be an unsurmountable one or something that is a a dramatic change from what they're doing already. There needs to be confidence given to these people. There also needs to be training available. So at the moment in time, if you 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 go and you wanted to actually physically upskill yourself, you, you would probably struggle to find an institution that can give you everything that you need. So therefore, we need to make sure that in construction, that that knowledge is put together and formulated properly, packaged properly, and there's qualified people to teach these skills to the to the people on the ground and the business people themselves to start off with to make sure that they know that what they're doing is correct and that they, they know that there's obviously a support network and a backup there should they need it. So you're basically asking builders and and businesses to come on board even though they're already in high demand so that's not the ideal circumstance supply and demand as we know drives everything in the world and if you are already busy and in demand it happens to me myself if i'm very very busy and somebody that i know comes to me and asks me to do something there's times when i have to say to them listen i'm really sorry i just cannot do it if you had it came to me six months ago i would have done it for you and i would have loved to have done it for you but at this moment in time I am already fully committed and I cannot do what you're asking me to do. You know, these are challenges that need to be addressed. And who is going to address them or who do we need to start addressing these things is, of course, authorities and governments. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big one, isn't it? When we talk about the labour shortage, and, and worth putting in context that there are shortages in talent across many industries at the moment, so that doesn't make it easier anyway. But often when we talk about construction industry, labour shortages, we focus on apprentices and getting people in kind of in their first job. But is there a case, particularly as we're looking for some slightly different skills here, that we actually need to try and get people into the construction industry from other industries who maybe already have some of the skills, the less traditional construction skills that would be useful in this big push towards carbon net zero? And if so, how do we attract people to jump industry? Yeah, again, Steve, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head here with these with these kind of points. So. Again, we've spoken about this before so many times and we've identified the need for more apprenticeships and more apprentices to come into uh, the construction industry. That's somebody starting from a young age and, and making a life choice to come into construction, which again, we've highlighted that and I'm a big advocate of the fact that that is a genuinely positive step for somebody to take. I really do support people in making those steps because it's not what the old kind of stereotypical way of looking at construction or the way of looking at the building industry has been over the years. So many things have changed for the positive and so many things have gone in so many different directions that there is an literally an unlimited amount of opportunities and an unlimited amount of facets that people can work in construction. So the call is here. We are calling people now and saying, come to construction. But let's be realistic about that. How do you do that? You have to make it attractive to people. You have to, you know, first of all, make it tangible that they can switch from an industry that they may be already qualified in and are probably making money, you know, a reasonable amount of money in. You're you're then, you're trying to encourage them or you're trying to ask them to come across to something new. So you have to make it as easy as you possibly can. Therefore, you have to have the training available for them. You have to have the support network for them. It's the same thing for businesses. If you're asking 
maybe a, a company that is set up to do transport, which is in some way connected to construction, maybe that they, they can change what they do slightly and come on board in, in construction in some area. Maybe it's supplying machinery to construction. Stuff like that is what we need to be able to try and meet the demands. We need we need people to start looking at construction as a viable long-term business for them to switch their their business focus to. And again, I said it already, would, would you just wake up in the morning if you were doing something different and go, right, construction is the game that I want to get into and be able to look back over the years and go, well, it, well, it, well, it was always there and it never changed and it was always supported by governments? The answer is no, it, it hasn't been previously. So we need, we need, support from authorities and from governments. And I'm not talking about, you know, the government in the UK or in Ireland or in any country in Europe or any country globally. I'm talking about all of them because there is a call gone globally from our governments and from, you know, people, you know, who've who've done the research about the aim to get down to, to carbon net zero. And how do we get there? We have to take the steps to get there and we have to be guided, supported and helped by our governments to do that. So how can they do that? It's it's very simple. They can give financial support, they can give training and education support, and they can make sure that it's not something that is a short-term game and it's not something that somebody will end up committing to and then having the rug pulled, pulled literally from beneath their beneath their legs and therefore causing them a, a lot of stress and hassle in their personal and business life. We have challenges ahead we are excellent in the construction industry at surmounting challenges. Every project has its challenges. Every aspect of construction has its own challenges. And we always come out on top and we always get them done. But this is a bigger challenge. This is something that needs everybody to come on board to. And it's it's definitely, it goes from the bottom to the top and it goes from the top back down to the bottom. When it comes to authorities and it comes to governments and it comes to global financial support for for this drive has to come from from the top and it has to be spread down to business people to colleges to institutions to training uh, facilities and then down into what happens on site and then right down to the finished product so there's challenges ahead but like like you know what let's put a program in place and we need commitment from everybody we need commitment from the governments and we need stimulation and we and we we need incentives to go where we need to go uh to to get these results done it's happening in every industry you know you you see it already in the motor um and transport industry the switch from petrol diesel going towards electric that's going to be a huge transition in that industry and it that will have some sort of a ripple effect into construction obviously but that's a, a clear sign that these transitions are are starting to take place and you know what? Maybe in construction, it's not as big a transition as maybe the likes of the motor industry because we have a lot of stuff in place. We have our materials that we know we work. We have some trained people and we have certainly got the facilities to do what we need to do, but we just simply don't have enough of them and we simply don't have enough support to make this what it needs to be going forward. So these are the challenges, Steve, and uh, we're going to keep on addressing these things throughout the year. And um, We've got a super, a super a number of guests coming on board to, to talk about uh, exactly what we've just went through. But I suppose, as always, I'm giving you the the man on the ground, the boots, the boots uh, on the ground type of of a, of a approach to this thing. Yeah, you know what, Pete? Sometimes I listen to you and I think it's a real shame that it's just me and you talking and there's not a big crowd here cheering you on because it's like a rally. And you know, <laughs> you think 
yeah, there should be a crowd going, yeah, Pete. <laughs> but hey, hopefully people are doing that individually when they're listening to the podcast. I have no doubt they are, Steve, because you know what? Sometimes <laughs> the revolution has to be a silent a revolution, but it's happening. There is absolutely, and, and I th- actually think the right word is a revolution, and maybe we do need crowds cheering in the streets, but it's uh, it's happening, Steve. And as I say all the time, and as we've identified there is huge opportunity within this as well. People are not being asked to do this for free, but they are being asked to transition. And there's going to have to be a little bit of hurt for a long-term absolute gain. Challenges ahead, Steve. And, you know, there's lots lots more of information that we're going to have here on Constructive Voices to give to people, to guide them in the right direction as well. We're going to have events throughout the year. We're going to have so much stuff that gives people the information. And we're going to keep on pushing and fighting the good fight. There you go. Remember, it was 2022 when you heard about the retrofit revolution, a phrase coined by Pete the Builder, Peter Finn, on Constructive (laughs) Voices. Pete, as always, good to speak to you. Absolutely, Steve. Always a pleasure. Thank you, my man. And that's all for this episode. If you're new to Constructive Voices, there are 22 other episodes already published and plenty more to come. Find them and subscribe or follow to get all the latest ones automatically in your favourite podcast app and find out more at constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. <laughs>